Hi, I'm Ellen Pompeo, and welcome to Tell Me. This is the Best of Grays episode. I've had a few cast members, former and current, on the show. I always have fun with my Grays family. I love them, and I'm glad we were able to have some people on so all of you could hear us together. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. I am talking to Kate Walsh, who's sitting right here with me. Buddy, I'm happy to see you. Thanks for doing this with me. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? I mean, I just adore you, bud. Thank you. One of the things you're here for is to come back on the show on Grey's, which I'm always super excited. Anytime an original person comes back, it makes the show better, and we're sticking to our DNA. So Kate and I were just talking before we started the podcast. We're talking about a lot of things, but we were saying how like, when you get older in Hollywood, and I just recently read something that made me feel so much better that Brad Pitt said, well, they said he said, that he said, you know, I can't stand night shoots anymore. It's true. Like as actors, you start breaking down. It's funny. It's like our bodies are our palates, right? And it gets harder. <laughs> you just are like, I don't want to do that. You do get grumpier. You're like, I'm cranky. <laughs> I see it in my pets. I have an old dog and an old cat, and they're just like, leave me alone. But I think also, if you're blessed enough to have work, and I feel you and I are obviously very, very fortunate to have had great careers, I think we can say that. But you're like, okay, you have a little bit of choice and autonomy, and you go, how important is it? I don't know how you feel. But there's a part of me that's like, I'd like to just be me now. <laughs> right. You know right, what I mean? Right. Like, it's funny. I was saying as a joke, but not really to my girlfriend. I'm like, my soul is an ash blonde brown, but you know, I'm going to go back to the red. <laughs> I'm going to be Addison again. But you're like, hey, who am I really? Is that all right? Like, I don't know. Yeah. You, <laughs> yeah. Well, especially when actors or actresses who go into these super, super like intense roles. It takes it out of you, right? For sure. For sure. Yeah. I just did a play in Perth for the Perth Festival. It was Mary Stewart. It's this incredible adaptation of the Elizabeth one and Mary Stewart story. Oh, I saw that on your Instagram. Your hair and makeup was crazy. crazy. Amazing. It was an incredible adaptation. It's a female story, but oddly, it's never been written by a woman. And this was an adaptation by an Australian playwright and actor called Kate Mulvaney, who's incredible. And it's an incredible production. And I remember my partner was like, really? Are you going to do it? Is it going to take a lot out of you? And I was like, no, no, no. There's some comedy in it, too. So it's going to be fine. And it's flattened me. It was like the hardest thing I've ever done. And it wasn't even eight shows. It was a six shows week. But you're just like, yeah, okay. If I do that, I will be taken away from my guy, my family. I got nothing but a pinky finger and an old orange tabby on my chest at the end of the day. (laughs) It's like that's it, it costs, you know? When I think about this topic and like, how come I can't do it anymore? Or, you know, I mean, listen, I've been playing the same character and going to the same job for 18 years, right? And I think about my dad, who was a cigarette salesman. He worked for a company called Lorillard. And he would just go around to different stores like 7-Elevens or whatever, you know, back in the day. You know, they'd order their cigarettes through him. He just had his route. Yeah. And he had his stores. And he did it for like, I don't know, 35 years. But I'm like, people do it, right? They work at jobs for a super long time and they do it. But it doesn't necessarily mean you should. 
Yeah. It's funny, that whole thing of work. I mean, that's what America is. It's work, right? It's birth yeah. based on work. And my dad was an Irish immigrant. He came over when he was a little boy, four years old, and he worked until he died. Worked. And that's how he was defined. And my brothers and I will talk about that, too. And my mother worked. And then I remember being shocked when my mother retired early. I was like, huh? My mom is completely work identified. You know, she was a social worker. She did all sorts of stuff. But I now am at that place where you're like, yeah, I'm 54 and I'd like to stop or cut way, way, way back. But it's a habit too. Again, like my father worked, that was his identity and he was an incredible man. I mean, he was a union guy, worked for Lockheed Martin and he fought for workers' rights and he was passionate about it and he loved it. But just that thing of like being outside of that, not identified by just that, I feel like you can easily be from the work tribe, the labor tribe of we only look left. And you're like, but if you look right, there's all this other stuff. Uh-huh. Like, you know, making tomatoes and yes. kids' life. We definitely live to work. Yeah. I feel the same way. I mean, I'm very lucky now with my schedule on Grace. I get to cut way, way back. One of the things that was nice about shooting Emily in Paris is that, well, A, it's in Paris. Yeah. So, <laughs> duh. And then secondly, though, is that it was, you know, French. <laughs> You're like, oh, we're actually having lunch with a tablecloth. We're all sitting, except for COVID. That didn't happen. We're all at little desks. But it was so nice. Like, you can actually make a good show and shoot 10 hours and be done in 12, you know, or 13. Do you know what I mean? You You can do it. Yeah, you really can. And you have happier actors. Yeah. So you're not going to have as much drama. I mean, one thing I really do have trouble, like, I find that I don't want to make myself miserable anymore. Like, you know, when you have scenes where you have to, like, let's say, like, when Derek got shot, that's something I remember, like, really vividly. Sandra and I, Shout out to Sandra Oh, one of the greatest to ever do it. We had to scream and cry and go crazy 30 fucking times. Yeah. I couldn't do that now. No, well, you, know? you don't want to, right? Yeah, because, I don't want but to. This is yeah, what I, I remember <laughs> when I was doing private practice one day, and I came out of it, and I was, like, leaving. I'm like, I don't know, I'm depressed. And I was talking to Paul Edelstein, who played Cooper, who's one of my oldest friends. We used to wait tables together in Chicago. And he's like, well, what was your scene today? I'm like, oh, I don't know. I, like, lost another baby or, I don't know, something, like, heavy that I was, like, this big thing. He's like, yeah, well, you trick your body into thinking this stuff is real, and you emote How do you not expect that it's going to take its toll? And I used to get really like, oh, I'm not a method actor. I punch in, I punch out. I can turn it on, I turn it off. The older I've gotten, the more sensitive I am. And I think it is true. It's a holistic process. You know, like I said, my boyfriend was like, hey, is this going to take a lot out of you to play this role? I'm like, no, no, I'll be fine. No, I did. I was like, you get like 1% of me for like a good two months. Sorry. You know what I mean? And that's real. It takes it out of you. I'm like, I just want to do comedy now. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, honestly, I'm like, I want to make people laugh. But there's also such, you know, we're in a crazy time on the planet. But I do feel like that's the place I want to be in in my person. I want to be in a state of joy, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, I agree. I think when you're young and you have all this angst Mm -hmm. and you're aggravated about this or angry about this, you need to get all that emotion out. You know, yeah. I mean, we have our stuff. We have our childhoods. There was a lot of stuff to draw on. Get to a certain age, you got a lot to cry about. You got a lot to be grateful for and a lot to cry about. But yeah. When you're young, you spend all your time trying not to get pregnant. And then when you want to get pregnant, you can't get pregnant, right? It's the same about like when you're young, you have all that shit to get out and you can get it all out. And then when you're older, you're like, yeah, yeah, no, I don't want to cry anymore. I literally just want to live in a state of bliss and joy. Shout out to all the amazing women and men that still just want to. But, you know, you hear other people of like, oh, Daniel Lewis, he's not going to do it. You're like, yeah, if you become Abraham Lincoln, like, I wouldn't want to live with that for a year, you know? Right, right, for sure. Yeah, actors are intense. Actors are intense. I've said it before. You don't get performances and you don't get intensity out of nowhere. It comes from somewhere. I really admire Nicole Kidman because she works so much. Yeah. I don't know how she does it. Yeah, I know. Like, she's a machine. We talked about that. Yeah, it just goes and goes and goes. Yeah. It's incredible. It's it's really incredible. Also, that's the other thing is, like, we were pretty lucky here, like, on our shows. Yeah. Grey's and Private, where we get to stay in L.A., and I get to, like, be normal and be a mom for my kids and stay here and everything. I think it gets harder to get It's funny because I'm staying at a friend's place in the Valley, and I was driving by Universal and I was like, oh yeah, that'd be great for them if they worked right over here. Like that'd be a sweet little gig. And I just remember thinking too, even back in the day, 
I was like, oh, I don't want to go on that audition in Manhattan Beach where the studio is there. You're like, what would I do? I live in the hills. I can't go there every day. That would be insane. I have to sell my house and move if I got the job. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It is a weird existence. And I've moved my whole life. I've always been really good at setting up shop and kind of set it all up really fast, but not anymore. It's like, oh, okay. And now here I am in a divided life in the Southern Hemisphere and Northern Hemisphere. I'm like... But whatever. It's good. So you live in Australia. Right. I live in Australia now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I still have my apartment in New York, but... Oh, you do? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. But yeah, I'm based mostly in Perth. Yeah, in Western Australia, which nobody really knows about. Except now, they will. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> right. No, no but it's great. Don't it's go beautiful. to Perth looking for her. Yeah, no. There is like one paparazzi guy. One paparazzo, I should say. I was like, what? Seriously? He moved back from L.A. It's like, all right, well, it's a really slow news day if you're, you know, shooting me, picking up my dog crap in the dog park. <laughs> a lot of that. Like, good luck selling it. Anyway. Listen, there's a lot of actors went over there during the oh, pandemic yeah. to shoot. Yeah. I've never been to Australia. It's oh, beautiful. I'm dying yeah. to go. I hate long plane rides. Yeah, it's a long one. Ellen, five hours from Perth to Sydney and then 13 hours to here or 14 to Whoa. L.A. Yeah. That's a long time. Yeah. It's not for the faint of heart. Mm-mm. That's hence the jet lag. It's like, where am I? Yeah, I mean, Kate's like probably had 30 minutes of sleep and she's sitting across from me. But man, I feel bad for her, but she's a trooper. Yeah. She shows up right. here after 30 minutes of sleep. <laughs> am I still creased over here? I like literally I got up. I'm like, oh, there's a crease on the side of my face. No, but we have a good old fashioned gray scene coming up. Yeah. A day of scenes with Jim Pickens in the OR. It'll be really That's fun. That's going to be fun. Yeah. I like those scenes. Good I old really like them. Snarky bitches. Yeah. Jim is being snarky. I probably shouldn't say anymore because they'll get mad at me if I give away storylines. But anyway, just know that when you watch the scenes that we're having fun. Yeah. Kate Walsh, thank you so much. I love you so much. And I can't wait to do our scenes. They're going to be super fun. You got Patrick Dempsey to come back to Grey's Anatomy. That was huge. And you brought that to our head writer, Krista Vernoff, and you all engineered a whole nother world that the audience just broke the internet over every week to week to week. You know, COVID is such a reality for everyone and certainly as a medical show. We went into it. You said it right before we even shut down that we have to address this. And you were so right about that. It gave us such rich stories to tell and pulled in the audience again from all over the world. All over the world, COVID has been the big stick that we have to fight against, the big enemy. And it was just beautiful what happened with your character last season. So I think the audience doesn't quite even know how involved you are with what happens on our show. I mean, getting Patrick Dempsey to come back was enormous. You all spent time together. You know, there was all this talk about what happened when he left, all of that. But at the end of the day, family is still family. You all are family. It was great. Yeah, love always wins, in my opinion. I feel like it's kind of weird, to be honest. I know that, you know, we've had so many discussions about the world has had enough of COVID and we can't continue to tell stories about COVID. But I do have to say, there's been many times on set where I just feel like, wow, it's a bit odd to not be playing any COVID at all. We're we're playing this season, season 18, in a post-COVID world. Chris and I, the other day, were talking about it. This March will be two full years in the beginning of us going into our third. Yeah, and then, you know, COVID is continuing to evolve and come back in different forms. So post-COVID is something we might not know about for quite some time in real life. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Right. So these are all things that we talk about. Yeah. When we're talking about grays and the stories that we tell and, you know, there's so many things that are important to us, right? We have to be optimistic. We have to give people hope. We have to entertain. We have to bring the sexy. (laughs) 
Ooh, honey, you brought the sexy this season. Yes, honey. You and Scott Speedman, <laughs> honey. Yes. I was there on set. I saw it. It was a shutdown set. Nobody could come in there. Everybody, it was what we call a, a closed set. That's only the cameraman, the director, and anybody that does lighting has to go away when they're actually shooting. That scene with you all was so hot. I know your husband, see, I had some things to say about that when he saw it. I, what is, I know he had something to say. <laughs> no, no, he didn't actually see that scene. Oh, he didn't see it? No, no, he saw the scene. What episode is the picnic blanket in the park? Oh, that was brave. That was that was episode two. Okay, he saw that one. <laughs> we don't need him seeing anything else. Girl, I'm sure he's going to hear about it because it was hot. I'm telling you. <laughs> so hot. It was so good, though. You all were natural together. He is such a doll on set, too. Scott Speedman. Such he a doll. Is, he really he is. Really you know, is. listen, he's got something. He's got that, like, bad boy kind of thing with the yeah. super cute face. <laughs> it's like a triple threat. He's got a great <laughs> smile, good hair, good eyes, <laughs> a lot of edge, but mm-hmm. then he's, like, a kind person. Yeah, yeah. He's really a kind person. And then recently, a father, just recently, he had his first child on our watch. And that was really, we were happy that he had joined that company with all of us as mothers and fathers and parents. It was nice. So Yeah, Grace is a great set to be a parent on. Yeah. Whenever you have a parenting situation or anything, everybody chimes right in (laughs) with what to do and how to help and We used to have a running count of, like, how many babies had been born (laughs) during the run of the show. Oh, my God. You know who I bet would know that? Chandra Wilson. Oh, yeah. I bet Chandra Wilson or Meg. Meg is one of our head writers. We call her Megapedia. And she literally knows every Grey's Anatomy fact. Brilliantly so. I mean, she's a walking encyclopedia. She's a walking computer. You can say, well, with this scene that happened in the breeze, oh, yeah, I know that. That was season 14, episode 1403. She really knows. And that's wonderful to have such an incredible writer that has that kind of history in her, at her fingertips, really as she's creating new stories. It's really fabulous. It's great. No one else can do that. That's her (laughs) superpower, right? We all have our superpowers, our individual superpowers. I mean, Mm. Debbie has a suitcase full of superpowers. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that I still cannot get over about West Side Story Mm. was how beautifully shot that movie is. And it made me so Mm. nostalgic for a film. We haven't gone to the movies in so long. Mm -hmm. That was my first movie theater Mm -hmm. experience in so long. And years ago, I don't know exactly what year, but I want to say maybe seven years ago, we switched on grays from shooting film to now digital. Yeah. And our whole industry has really gone digital. So there used to be film in the cameras and everything moved, you know, gradually. And I think we were one of the last shows to actually, we had this amazing DP. Yeah, her Rembrandt. Who is sort of the last bastion of, he did not want to transfer over to digital, and rightly so. Like, it just doesn't look the same. The quality isn't the same. And when I watched the movie, I was like, man, I wish we could all go back to shooting everything on film. And when you watch those first 10 seasons or 11 seasons, whatever it is, of Grey's shot on film, it does have such a different quality to it. It's just so beautiful. That is one thing that technology has given and taketh away from us. Yeah, it's something. uh, Stephen is one of the last ones that still shoots film. A lot of people are into the high def 4D of it all, you know, where you shoot a wide shot and you don't even have to shoot the close up. They'll just in post go into the close up. It's really um, saves money, but the quality is not as artful at all. Yeah, West Side is beautifully shot. Janusz Kaminski also shot Amistad. Shoots everything. Shot Catch Me If You Can that I was in. Yeah. Oh, yes, he did. Yes. Tell us about that movie, because I still watch that movie whenever it comes on. What was that like for you with Leonardo and all like that? How was it for you? I mean, you know, so intimidating, as nice as Steven is and as smart as he is. You know, it's intimidating. And I was so young. And because he had seen my first ever acting job, which was a L'Oreal commercial. Oh. 
that had aired on TV. And, you know, the next day, my agent gets this phone call from Stevens Camp. You know, it's just the things that Hollywood dreams are made of, right? Not that I went on to do anything right away, but just to hear that the commercial aired one night. Wow. And he had seen it. It was like an out-of-body experience. <laughs> And so then this goes back to my previous comment about things take years and years. So I knew that Stephen had seen my first commercial, but I didn't actually end up working with him for eight years. Oh. There wasn't actually a part that I was right for in one of his films for eight years. And I had thought, you know, of course, I did everything wrong. I blew every audition. <laughs> I would cry and kick myself and I blew it. And this guy must think I'm an idiot. You know, every way you can beat yourself up as a young woman, yeah, I did. you did. And then eight years later, I would audition for Catch Me If You Can. You know, I was super intimidated, of course, because I always felt like, you know, what am I doing here? How did I get here? And, you know, Leo's one of the greatest to ever do it. Steven's one of the greatest to ever do it. So when you find yourself in that company, when you're that young, you know, and that new in this business, I think it was a pretty electric experience, but also, you know, pinch me moment. Like, I don't really belong here. Someone's going to find out I'm a fraud and kick me <laughs> out. I know that feeling, but you totally belong. When we see that movie, you belong. I felt like that when I did Ragtime with Milos Forman. I played the part of Sarah opposite Howard Rollins and James Cagney and all those people. And he and his DP were always talking in Polish. We call them rice check and wheat check. We never knew what they were saying. And they would be arguing, and they were arguing one day, and I was sure that I was the problem. And I was sitting there, and I guess Milos could tell, because I started to contract and shrivel, and he was like, no, darling, it's not you. It's him. It's him. And it was so, wow. So I know what that feels like. But you were so perfect in Catch Me If You Can. Just perfect. Just a tiny, tiny little part. All of those tiny little parts that I was doing is what led me to do Grays because I had gotten some really great opportunities to work with some really important directors and great actors. But at the end of the day, there were always really small parts. And then I met Shonda Rhimes. And then you met Shonda Rhimes. Oh, my God. Woo. <laughs> and Shonda Rhimes offered me a lead role. And it wasn't to play a girlfriend. It was to play the lead role in a smart woman, a doctor. And I had never had anything even remotely close to that come across my desk at all. Everything I was offered was the girlfriend of someone. Yeah. Or, you know, in Daredevil, I was like the secretary. And, you know, that was literally a blip on the screen. <laughs> even if you don't close your eyes, you'll still miss me in that. <laughs> but, yeah, it was like all of those wonderful experiences is what made me really pay attention to what Chanda was offering me, which was to play a smart woman who's in charge of her life and has a career and has a one night stand. It was like a complete opposite of everything I had experienced in this town up until that point. And I thought, wow, this is certainly something I've never seen before. And here we are. And child, look how <laughs> that turned out. Ooh, my Vesuvius came back to life, honey, blew up all over the place. Grey's Anatomy. I watched it so long. And, you know, I'd been directing quite a bit by that time. And I just kept wondering, why am I not getting on that show? What I want to direct Grey's Anatomy. You know, I kept saying to my agent, I changed agents at one point. And I looked up and then I got this offer. I said, child, it's about time. And I was so excited to come and... It was interesting because that was the early in the days where sometimes we didn't get a script until almost two days before you would shoot. And I had several days of prep where I didn't have a script yet. So Linda Klein, Sunbeam, as we call her now, head of everything medical on Grey's Anatomy, arranged for me to go see a bloodless bypass surgery. So I went to the hospital and watched a seven-hour surgery. It was unbelievable just to be in the room with those doctors and, you know, just get ready for Grey's Anatomy. I wanted to be ready for y'all. I didn't want to come in there half-stepping. I'm glad you all got to hear a conversation between me and my number one lady. Me and my G, my girl. You are my girl. I love you, Ellen. We are the dynamic duo. <laughs> yes, I love you are. to pieces. I love you too. Bye-bye. Thanks for doing this, my love. Absolutely. Anytime.
Eric Dane's here. Wait, so I hang out with Dane all the time. For some reason, your voice sounds so amazing on this microphone. Why is that? I don't know who makes these microphones. These are fantastic. Ooh, see? Ooh, Maybe it's your ooh. headphones. I don't know. Ooh, sexy Dane with the voice. You don't really sound like this in Stop person. Stop it. I'm <laughs> My Great Dane. That's what my nickname for him, the Great Dane. Living the dreamy PMD. How are you? I'm good. I'm real good. How's Euphoria going? Euphoria is great. You're shooting season two. two. Yeah. Fun, dark. What's going on? Well, as dark as it is on screen, we have a fun time shooting it. You know, I know the subject matter can get a little heavy, a little intense, but we have a great time making this show. And I think we're like halfway through season two. I don't think HBO has announced the air date, so I'm not going to step on anybody's toes, certainly not HBO's, but it's probably coming sooner than you would expect. Oh, good. I'm excited. I love your work on that show, oh, man. Thanks, Emily. It's really good. Dane and I both are Scorpios. We have November birthdays. He's You're the 10th? I'm the 10th. I'm the 9th. You're the 9th. Leo's the 11th. Leo's the 11th, yeah. Scorpio trio. Yeah, what are we going to do this year for our birthdays? What can we do? Get older. No, stop. I don't want to get older. I know. Fifth floor, man, you know, is brutal. I, I was telling people I was 45 for like eight months, and then I Googled myself, <laughs> and I realized that I was turning 44, and I felt like I gained an entire year back in my life. I felt like I cheated, cheated death a little bit. Wait, wait. I so forgot how old I was. Okay, yeah. so first of all, I'm a little pissed that you're still in your 40s because I'm not anymore. Second of all, what if Google's wrong? Uh, well, no, I did the math. I recalibrated my brain and I said, wow, I thought I was a year older. I see. After 40, you just, you know, 40 is a big one. Then 41, 42, you just stop counting. I'm 48 now. Like, at this point, it's just numbers. Yeah, you're right around the corner, though. But 50 is like a whole different psychological. Is it? I have friends who have turned 50 and said that things get things get better. We become better choosers with age, you know. Our bodies aren't the same. We don't have the agility we used to have. I'll just say that. <laughs> for sure. Also, it's like just trying to be grateful for like knowing that you could, you know, not be alive. So at a certain age, you're like, oh, I'm just happy to be alive. I'm happy to not have gotten sick or have anything happen. So it's like you have to be grateful when you're older. Yeah, That's a good start, way to feel good about being older. Yeah. Well, you also start recognizing your own mortality. When we're in our 20s, our 30s, we think we're immortal. Totally. You know? And then we do all the dumb shit. Yeah. Are you going to travel anytime soon? I'm like really itching to go somewhere. No, but let me tell you something. I went to Shanghai during the pandemic mm -hmm. to make a movie mm -hmm. for the Chinese market. Mm -hmm. So I've done all the traveling I need to do for a while. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. You don't miss going to New York or getting a little city vibe? Yeah, I'd like to go to New York. I'd like to go to an island. I'd like to, but I'm working right now. What was Shanghai like? I've never been to China. Shanghai city center is beautiful. The Bund. The river that most of the city's built on. It's beautiful. The French concession's beautiful. But, you know, I was just making sure I didn't get lawless in Shanghai. You know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. <laughs> Dane's behaving himself. I am. I am. But I still think like an 18-year-old. Right. Well, I'm sure there's plenty of ladies who appreciate that. Arrested development. Mm-hmm. What else is going on? Well... We had a good time last Saturday. We did. So Dane and I did an escape room. We took the kids. We almost finished it. We almost finished both Actually, of them. Actually, the kids, the kids, Stella and Billy, the kids finished all their escape rooms. And <laughs> Ellen and I, we, we, the first one we got out of and I was like, how far away were we? They were like, you were like halfway through. <laughs> Second one, we got like three quarters of the way through. I was very proud of that. You know, I'm doing more this weekend. The kids are obsessed. I'm going back to that same place. It's very cool, that place. It's very cool. And the kids love it. So Stella said to me, do you want to do the same room? Right. Because now you could get through it faster and you could feel better about uh, your yeah, skills. Yeah, it's good for your self-esteem. How many rooms are there there? There's like 10 different rooms, right? Yeah, Those at passports least. passports we give us, right? Yeah. At least. I've been to some that are like very sketchy and not. I've been to one of those too. It's just not the full immersive experience as this one is. Right. That one's really, really good. I called Justin because, you know, Justin used to love having Halloween parties. Yeah. And I thought like that would be a very good place to have a Halloween party. He like never rent out the whole place. To his Halloween parties. I spoke to him yesterday. I'm going to give him shit on Sunday. Uh, I'm going to see him on Sunday. I mean, listen, he's going to be in the offer playing Brando. Yeah. 
and I heard that that shit was insane. I heard his performance is yeah, unbelievable. It, yeah, yeah, and he's a very talented guy. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure his Brando was great, and I'm sure he wasn't actually doing the Brando that everybody would have expected him to do. I'm sure he's playing it as truthfully as he possibly can. It's so fun to see you guys go do other things. You know, as much as I miss seeing you all every day or all the time. There was a special chemistry, you know, the original cast. Yeah, lightning, which you get with charismatic people. Are you calling me charismatic? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. He's low-key charismatic. Low-key charismatic, yeah. correct. I'm not a peacock with my charisma. Uh-uh. Mm. You got matcha in one hand and green tea in the other? No, this is matcha. Yeah. And then I have hibiscus over here. Oh, my God, you've been drinking that hibiscus. I think that's the first thing you offered me when I showed up to work. You were like, have a nice hibiscus tea. They're so great. <laughs> it tastes like I tell you, much. Alan has been drinking hibiscus tea for a good 15-plus years. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, for sure. I'm super into tea. It's good for you. I brought a lot of great teas back from Shanghai. Ah, I bet you did. Yeah. That black tea. What's it called? Uh, Puar. Puar. Puar yeah. tea? Yeah. Stuff's really good for you. I brought some back that was aged from 2003. Got hooked up with a tea dealer over there. <laughs> and he brought me all these really fancy teas. And I was like, I'll just take this one and this one. And I got some really great green tea. And right. That's about as exciting as my trip to Shanghai was. So wait, the other day we were talking about who made Tony Soprano, right? You loved it. You watched it. I watched it. I loved it for the nostalgia mm-hmm. that it hit. You know, seeing all the younger characters. I wish they would have brought out Michael Gandolfini a little earlier. But uh, are they doing another one? I don't know, but I still haven't had the time to watch it. So I there's... thought Alessandro Nivola was great. Mm-hmm. I like him as an actor. Yeah. It's so much pressure to do something like that. You that know, doesn't it's... mean I don't like him as a person. I don't know him personally, but right. I do like him as an actor. It's like Justin playing Brando like, or Kristen Stewart playing Diana, which the reviews for that are incredible. Are they? Yeah. Is that The Crown? No, it's not The Crown. The Crown is the TV show, which is incredible. Yeah, yeah. I watched a couple seasons of it. I did, too. Actually, when I got my COVID vaccine, my second shot, I was down for like eight hours. So I was sick and I watched like a whole season of it. I'm a Peaky Blinders guy. Oh, I haven't seen Peaky Blinders. It's fantastic. Is and it? I think season six is about to air or it's coming soon or they're still shooting it. I don't know. But I know there's a season six is going to be the final season and seasons one through five were terrific okay you got to watch that one i do that one's fantastic okay i'll watch that one what about schitt's creek have you ever seen schitt's i've never seen schitt's creek come on there's so much stuff i haven't seen oh my god okay i'll watch peaky blinders if you watch schitt's creek i'll watch schitt's creek okay it's so funny i hear it's great i mean look they win all these awards i'm sure i geeked out on them at the emmys i like freaked out when i saw them. oh you did oh yeah like i literally was like jumping up and down like a five-year-old with lollipops i sculpted eugene levy what yeah Really? I did. Well, it was by accident. I'm going to bring it up and you can laugh at it. Okay. Wait, you sculpt? Yeah, just for fun. Oh, I, I mean, didn't you even... can see my Eugene Levy and tell me if I'm any good at it. Okay. That's pretty good. All right? Yeah. Where do you do that? In my breakfast nook. <laughs> so what kind of clay is that? Is that? Do you like bake that and make it hard? It's like or earth clay. No, it'll earth dry clay. out. I see. Yeah. I see. What made you sculpt Eugene Levy? You pick Levy? up a lot of things when there's a global pandemic. It's true. But specifically, you don't watch Shit's Creek. What inspired you to sculpt him? I think Eugene Levy's hilarious. He is amazing. He really is amazing. And honestly, it was an accident. I was like, huh, this kind of looks like Eugene Levy. Let's go with it. Oh. Yeah. But you were going for a face. I was going for a face. Yeah. It turned out to resemble Eugene Levy, so I just drove a truck through it. What else is going on? What else? I, oh my God, I really want to see the James Bond. Yeah, I might see it this Sunday. Really? Can I come? Yeah, probably. Are you going on a date? No. Who are you going with? I'm going with a friend to a friend's house and we're going to screen it there. Oh, that's so fancy. Yeah, he's fancy. I love the Bond movies. I do too. I love Daniel Craig as James Bond. I do too. As like the origin story. Yeah. What's the one when they're in Venice and all the water starts coming up? Casino Royale. Casino think, Royale. Right? That scene is unbelievable. Yeah, and that's when he loses his love. That's right, yes. She's the, underwater yeah. in the tank. And I just thought, oh my God, to film those scenes and just be underwater. And that's when he is like, no more commitments for me right. with women. Yeah. They just started putting up all the posters around town. 
You grew up in San Francisco. Do you ever go up there? I do. All my family has sort of migrated into the city, so it's an easy trip for me to make uh-huh. and get to see everybody. But, you know, you go for a weekend and you got 15 people to see. It's enough to sort of... Not make you want to go. Not make you want to go. Yeah, I was looking for a better word. <laughs> There's a word out there, but look, as I said, I'm 48 years old. Sometimes, like, how many times do you leave the house and then go back in to grab something that you forgot? A million. Like the fucking car keys. Yeah, car like keys. Ha- like, how are you, like, how are you, supposed, hat, to, how are you supposed to even go anywhere without the car keys? I just run up and downstairs grabbing stuff. Boston's further away, so I can't really go back to Boston that much because it's so far anyway. Yeah. You know, it's a little harder for you to make excuses. It's so well, close. San Francisco's a quick flight. Yeah. I love it up there. It's so pretty. I know. It's my favorite city. Although I do love LA. You do? I do. Do you love New York the same? I love New York. I spent some time in New York, a lot of time in New York. I love New York, but I started to feel like, look, I'm a West Coast kid. I grew up in California. I started to feel like I was in like this hamster, like habit trail sort of thing. I need space. Yeah, there's a lot of people. I want to drive. So what's interesting is when I moved here from New York City, Mm -hmm. I felt like I was in a suburb. I was like, where are the people? There's too many trees. Yeah, they're all in their cars. I'm so freaked out. I need a city. I need to go back to the city. And over the last 10 years, now Hollywood feels like Times Square. It's like super populated. People walk now. It has a much more of a city vibe than it ever did before. And now I don't like it. Yeah, it's a little fragmented, though. You know, you get that on Hollywood Boulevard. Now it's amplified by... 10x, right? right? Yeah. You get that in Silver Lake. You get that in Santa Monica and Venice. But, you know, the distance between Silver Lake and Venice is probably 14 miles and it'll take you an hour and a half easy to get there. There's so many cars on the road. Traffic is, you know, we complain about it all the time. LA is known for its traffic and it is real. One thing about New York that's so fantastic is that everybody's out on the street. So you have that human connection with everybody. Yeah. I think it's good. We don't have that in Los Angeles. Everybody's in their cars, fucking texting and not paying attention to driving and just doing all this crazy shit that really bums me out. My spirituality goes into the hay pile when I'm sitting in traffic in L.A. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people feel like that. But I will say that's one great thing about podcasts. That's what I started to do is just like listen to podcasts in the car because I don't want to listen to the radio. Well, how many people listen to the radio? Well, I mean, terrestrial even, even, radio. I don't even mean like terrestrial, like any radio, like any like music. serious or yeah. anything like that. Did you see the Wu-Tang documentary, Biopic, on Hulu? Mm-mm. You should watch it. It's great. Is it? Yeah. It's a nostalgia thing, too. You see all the origins of these characters coming up and forming this crew. Right, right. Oh, I actually saw, yeah, I saw a trailer for it. I'll put that in my queue of 50 would, million things to oh, watch. Oh, right, right. Well, you first is Peaky Blinders. Okay, Peaky Blinders. I think you'll enjoy that. Then Wu-Tang documentary. Chris loves documentaries. It's all he does is watch It's a biopic, but I mean, as far as, you know, anyone's concerned, it's pretty truthful. You know, RZA helped write it. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, there exact you go. Produced it. Method Man exec produced it. Okay. So you got some authenticity there. A very authentic. Right. Don't you wonder how, like, people remember shit? Like, I couldn't go back and, like, write a biopic of, like, my, you know, beginning of my career. I don't remember anything. Like, Chris has an amazing memory. Yeah. And he tells me stuff. He's like, remember when we went to Paris? And I'm like, nope, don't remember that at all. Wait, we were in Paris we together, were in weren't Paris we? We were in Paris together, yeah. We were in that club was under the ground. It was, like, really oh, small, yeah, like yeah. a basement. I was a little bit freaked out. Yeah, it was a cool club. I think it was called Neo. See? How do you remember that? I'm an elephant, babe. See? You guys remember shit. We remember details. What else do you remember? What else did we do when we were young and cool? Well, we would go to Monte Carlo. Yeah. That was fun. Were you on the plane when it landed sideways? I know I was not on. I would have remembered that. Oh, my God. I mean... I remember Chandra was on the plane with her kids. Yeah. Justin was on the plane with Keisha. And I was on the plane with Chris. And we landed in Nice. And it must have been windy or something. Yeah. And the plane just sort of like. all over the place until. It just fishtailed. That's always fun. Oh, my God. And then we got off of the plane and went to the helicopter so the helicopter could take us to Monaco and the helicopter pilot. I didn't get to go to Monaco that way. The plane I was on was a commercial flight. It landed perfectly and then we got into a car. Right. And the helicopter pilot just had this like devious smile on his face like, ooh, some American tourists. I'm going to terrorize them in a tiny little helicopter over the ocean. 
And that's exactly what he did. He like you That know, must have been a fun trip. Yeah. This morning, I was in the shower. Yeah, ready for this? Here it goes. I was in the shower thinking about Patrick Dempsey. There's the clickbait right there. I was in the shower thinking about this conversation with you and thinking about like when's the last time we saw each other, what we talked about, whatever. And I was thinking, it's so funny that I don't know if people know this story, but we actually lived on the same street. Patrick and I, when we did the pilot for Grey's Anatomy, we were actually neighbors and didn't really know each other. I had never met him, but you lived like 10 houses up the street from me. Mm-hmm. Curson Avenue. We were living on Curson Avenue and I bought the house from the woman who owned the house you were renting at the time. That's how small that world was. But it's really so interesting how when I say like I'm a spiritual person and all that, I truly believe that the people in your orbit are meant to be in your orbit. You know, whether you call that like energy or, you know, like matter finds like matter. Justin Chambers, the same thing. Like I knew Justin well before Grey's Anatomy. I knew him like we met when we were 25 years old in New York City going out for commercial auditions together. It's so funny how people who are in your orbit are sort of meant to be in your orbit. Some people are meant to be in your orbit for a minute to teach you things and then they get out of your orbit and you don't ever want them in your orbit again. Certainly with the cast, I think that's a good point that you bring up. I've learned so much from the experience by different relationships with the cast, with Justin, with everybody that have been some of the best life lessons I've ever had in my life. And because of the concentrated intensity of the experience of all of it, it really has been a blessing in so many ways because you start to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly, and you start to, we're here to refine ourselves and to improve. And it was really something that we've all kind of lived through together, this amazing journey. And you're still in the process of it. But when you go back and you revisit or you talk to Justin, like I spoke to him a little bit when I was in Europe, we were trying to get together. There was something there that was quite special where you're like, yeah, it's like the soul that's coming through to help you through this process, to improve and to evolve. And it's quite interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I think that only we can understand what this journey has been. And we are the only ones who truly understand it and each other. And we've all come through it with a tremendous amount of forgiveness and love for each other. And we have learned that lesson that empathy is the way. And we're living our best lives because of it. So it has been an incredible blessing. I wouldn't change any of it. Even the bad we've learned from and the good we look back on and laugh. And we still all love each other like brothers and sisters. And thank you to all these fans who supported us for so long because it's really because of them that we get to relish in this success and see this as such a positive experience. And it's been a blessing for sure. Absolutely. And it's really great when you run into people who have been so profoundly impacted by the show. You know, their eyes light up and they're happy to see you. And it's like, you have to hold that for them. And, you know, it's really quite special because anywhere you go in the world, people know you. (laughs) It's true. Anywhere. And they greet you in a positive way. And that's really, that's really lovely. You know, it's really special. It's like people running up to you. The show has allowed us to have such a positive impact that when people run up to you with a big smile and say, oh my God, I love you. Or I love Patrick. Or please tell Patrick, I love him. Please tell Justin, I love him. Please tell, you know, it's so much positivity coming at us that it's kind of hard not to get high off it. Yes, indeed. So can we start with Disenchanted first? I don't know if people really realize, like, Patrick is like a real old school actor. Like, he does it all. He can sing. He can dance. I mean, if you watch That's Entertainment, he is one of those triple threat. Like, he really is such an all-around entertainer. So wait, what was that like? You had to sing and dance. Well, first of all, you're very kind at giving me a triple threat. But I did get a (laughs) chance to sing and dance in this film in a way that I hadn't done in the past. So it was really fun to discover my voice. And they had written three songs, actually, two songs that I got to rehearse and to record and do that whole process. And absolutely loved it. Had so much fun. Was petrified because I can't sing. I don't really think I have a good voice. But they figured out how to help me find the voice and support it. And it was just really liberating. And of course, the dancing and the camaraderie with the dancers, there's just something so special about working with dancers. 
There's a feeling there. There's a support group. And it's just, it's fun. And it's just like all these young, vibrant beings just exploding with energy and movement and expression. And that was so much fun to do. And Adam Shankman, who just sort of kept us all in line and inspired us. That was good. He was the director. So wait a second. So remember we did that horrible... <laughs> the musical number. I mean, sorry to disrespect we who did. wrote it, but I mean, that musical, we were horrified, right? Did you sing? You didn't sing either. No, I did sing a little. And I was like, listen, guys, I'm telling you right now, like, I can't sing. And especially like Sada Ramirez and Chandra Wilson can sing their asses off. And Kevin, Kevin could sing too. Kevin's got a great voice as well. He does. But I was like, listen, I don't want to chicken out here. Like, we're doing this musical. I want to be all in. I want to commit. I want to try, but I'm a terrible singer. But yes, if you guys can help me sound better, I'm not going to be good, but I also am not going to chicken out. So I'll just dive right in. I totally chickened out. <laughs> I chickened out completely. I was like, no way in hell am I going to be singing. It didn't make sense to me then. And now when you see it, you're like, oh my God, at least they tried it. You know, at least they tried it. Yeah, it was completely ridiculous. I haven't seen it again. But wait, so I sang, but I was in a scene with you and I was singing to you and you weren't singing. So you're so much smarter than me. Yeah, I was just like, I'm just going to just sit over here and not say anything. <laughs> I think I was like straddling you singing or something. I was like probably... the, the whole concept was crazy. And it's one of those memories. You know? <laughs> okay, so Amy's in that with you. Amy Adams. Amy, Maya Rudolph is in it. James is back. Adina, everybody's back. And then, um, first of all, I hadn't done a comedy in such a long time. And then a musical on top of it, it was really liberating and fun to just have something that you didn't have to take too seriously. It was all about play. You know, that was really nice to see. And it was a film. So you had a lot of time to practice and rehearse and get it right. I ended up staying in the north of Ireland, which was fascinating. I learned a lot up there. And then I was in nature. So it was the spring of the year. You have all the lambs and all the cows and the calves and everything. It's everything you would imagine it to be. Great hiking, great culture, really fun, rainy, miserable weather at times. And then it gets hot. It gets in the 80s and people melt down completely. They can't handle it. But I loved it. Yeah, you love that weather. You're from Maine. You love cold and cozy weather. Well, yeah. I mean, I love the rain and the cold. Yeah, and the snow. Like this morning, it's overcast here, and I love it. It goes with my personality. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we got to have colors. If it was Cherry Patrick all the time, our Cherry Ellen would be boring. Yes. That's what I say. That's what I tell my kids anyway. <laughs> exactly. I find, I tell my kids this, but when my kids say, I'm bored, I say, only boring people can be bored. If you're bored, then you're boring. Like, right. uh, give me anything, just don't give me a boring person. Right. You know, it's like, I'll take it all, but just not boredom. Not someone who has nothing to say or no opinions or no fire, you know? Exactly. Keep it stirred up a little bit. So everybody who knows Patrick knows he is obsessed with car racing and everything to do with car racing. Le Mans is something he's so passionate about. I know that. What's that like? You know, it was interesting having the event this year because once again, you know, around the world, everybody's locked down. So you're you're used to being in an event where there's 300,000 people and you only had 50,000. So it felt empty, felt almost like a test. But it was great to be around the teams, to be back out, be competitive again and do that. It's such a special event. I just feel like that's my group. Those are my people that I love being around. There's something about the athletes and the teams and it's real and it's raw and nice to get back. Last year, I missed it for the first time in many years. There was a melancholy feeling because you think of all the memories in the past and then where we are today with COVID and there's a little bit of sadness there, but at least we were taking steps in the right direction, being normal as much as possible. So that was inspiring. It's just harder to travel and be away from the family more and more. It's much harder for me to do that. Did you drive? I didn't drive. No, I still own the team. With COVID, I had a program in place to do sprint racing, which is like a short race, not an endurance race. Le Mans is 24 hours. So I really would love to do a program where I'm doing half hour races, 45 minutes max, things like that. You go in, test on a Friday, qualify, and then race Saturday and be home Sunday. So wait, one person drives one car for 24 hours? No, you have a team. For Le Mans, you have three drivers. Oh, okay. They're broken up into three categories, bronze, silver, and gold, depending on your experience level. Gold being the most experienced. And it's the combined effort of those three drivers in the team, you know, to see where you end up at the end of the 24-hour period. Right. Race car drivers are hot. 
Chicks love race car drivers. There's a lot of female drivers getting in too, which is nice to see. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. Do you have any female drivers on your team? On our team, no. There was a team that was all female drivers that was in the LMP2, which is a prototype, which is a slightly faster car. They had a good run and then there was an incident and they ultimately were taken out, which was unfortunate. But there's more support in the series and in the sport than ever, which is good to see. It's just finding the right people, right? The right driver that fits in with the chemistry of the team. And if you can find a bronze or a silver driver, that's really important. You want to find those drivers before they move up. And that's the hard thing. Usually if they're good, they're on a hot team right away. So it's need to develop the younger drivers, certainly the female drivers, and start earlier on and then have a ladder program where we can get people moving through and up the ranks. Right. That's cool. You know, that's one of the amazing things about what's happening, the cultural shift that's happening across all sports and all kinds of things is, you know, women's basketball is getting a bigger profile. Women in racing is amazing. Just the inclusivity of it just makes it more exciting to watch. And I know it's definitely showing the little girls, you know, sitting them in front of the TV and being like, hey, watch these girls play basketball. You know, it it really makes a difference in people's lives. Representation really matters for the kids to see themselves. Absolutely. And the young kids light up. It's like when you see the young girls watching the women on the team, it's great to see their face and their eyes are just lit up because they're like, okay, that's what I want to do. They can see it. They know what the end result's going to be. So it's just a question of really getting in there and developing young drivers, certainly the young women, and giving them an opportunity to develop and move them up the ladder. Cool. Cool. Okay. So then what else did you do? So you went, so you did that movie. Oh, and you also went to Italy. You know, we got through production without any cases, which was remarkable. I mean, they got hit so hard early on. They understood, listen, we need to follow the science. And of course, the rolling out of the vaccines was very slow over there. Just the people at the highest risk, the older people. But the crew and the cast, everybody really hunkered down and was really disciplined. We didn't go anywhere. We didn't go out and we stayed in our pods and we got through it. It was really an exceptional experience. And, you know, you're only working 10 hour days, which is so civilized, right? So you have a good, solid day. You work hard. You come home, you have a nice meal, and then you prep for your following day's work. And it's the lifestyle, just the aesthetic of being over there. The people, the Italians are just so warm and crazy and passionate. And it's been my second season on the show Devils. And I really, I loved it. It was such a great atmosphere. Nice. What do you play? I play a a banker who's like a bad guy. You don't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy, which was so much fun to play. Well, you look like shit in a suit, so we know there's that. (laughs) I had the great Italian suits, and then I got to play a darker character and an international cast. So it was really, really fun, great spirit behind it. And, you know, you're in a different culture, so everything's so new, and it's just so stimulating. And then the character was a challenge. It was nice to play something that was darker. You know, you didn't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy, and I enjoyed that. And it's very authentic to the financial world. Episode one in the first season takes place around the big crash. So we take a look at behind the scenes, what's going on in the banking world. And then at the same time, we're projecting the real life sort of images and news footage of that time. And then we get into the story and the conspiracies behind it. Cool. Like it takes place in Italy. So is your character Italian or what's that? Well, there's one character that's Italian, Alessandro Orji, who is the lead character, who's the banker, the trader on the floor. And it's an international cast. It takes place in England and around the world. But we shot most of the interiors in Rome. Nice. I love anything set in Europe. It's so, I mean, the Bond movies are so famous for their locations and it's it just adds such a quality to the production when you set anything in Europe. So The right location just transforms the image when you have it projected in front of the camera, right? It's just like, you can't beat that. You can feel it. You can't create it. Like the CGI stuff that's created, it doesn't really age well in my opinion, but when you're there and you're on location, there's something special about that. You know, you just feel inspired and you look at the history. Then you start to look at, okay, where we are at this moment in time. And you put that in context to where we've been as a civilization through the centuries and the millennia. And it's really quite fascinating, especially in Rome. I love you, Patty. Thank you so much for doing this. Love you too. 